This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash adventures in Angular. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Alyssa Nichol. Hey, everybody. John Papa. Hello. Ward Bell. Hello, Angular fans. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out about JS Remote... or. De- I always say remote conf. I changed it to uh, JavaScript Dev Summit. So if you go to jsdevsummit.com, um, you can uh, join us for that conference. You can come live for free. You can get the recordings if you pay. We'll have a bunch of bonuses and stuff. So yeah, keep an eye out for that. Uh, we have a special guest this week, and that is Brittany Moore. Brittany, do you want to say hello? Hi there. Now, we haven't had you on the show before, so why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, as you said, I'm Brittany Moore. And I've been working as a front-end developer for about four years, and I'm currently a consultant with Testable. Awesome. And I think uh, Justin Searles, uh, who we've had on some of the shows, recommended you to come on this show. So I'll have to thank him later. Yeah. So we were talking before what the show. Testable? I- I'm curious. What is Testable? I- it sounds... It's a curious name. It is a curious name, and it's one that Justin talks about a lot because we're essentially named after a mocking strategy. Um, but we don't just do testing. We're a consultant comp- a consultancy that aims to improve the way the world writes software. If you look at our website, that's pretty much our main message. So we do mostly Ruby and JavaScript right now, but we're doing a lot of work with process improvement and really encouraging people to look at the way they write software and improve their process and get more value out of their time. That's really funny. The only... I guess back end experience I have is with Ruby on Rails. So I love it. <laughs> Just another reason why you're a keeper, Alyssa. <laughs> awesome. So you said that you have a little bit of a unique experience coming into Angular. Uh, do, do you want to kind of set the stage for us and then we can uh, dive into uh, what it's like to adopt Angular under the circumstances that you worked with it? Sure. So the general idea is that I came into my first development job with a front-end background, but I hadn't really gone further than the base JavaScript, HTML, CSS. I'd never worked with a framework before. And I went into a .NET SharePoint team, so they were doing very little front-end framework um, work. And it was a lot of kind of using JavaScript and CSS to sort of duct tape SharePoint and make it more customized and figure out a way to meet our requirements. and. Honestly, a lot of our JavaScript was a big mess. It wasn't in source control consistently. It was duplicated through projects. There wasn't a lot of organization or best practices. And I didn't at the time have the background to really fix that. So I discovered Angular actually at um, a talk John Papa gave at Microsoft Ignite a couple of years ago talking about Angular and the SharePoint framework. And that's how I got involved in it. 
And from then, I picked up kind of learning more about Angular JS and Angular 2.0 when it came out shortly after. And I kind of used that as an entry point into the JavaScript ecosystem and learning all about all of the tools that are available out there to make our jobs as developers easier and integrating them into the team. That's interesting. So what was it that John talked about that really made Angular appeal to you? Mostly it was just looking at his work setup and that might sound ridiculous, but I remember he had, I think, VS Code up on the screen and was jumping around and doing snippets and loading things into SharePoint super quickly. And that was incredibly impressive because I was working with SharePoint 2013, which is not fast or easy. And I'd never seen Visual Studio Code before somehow. I was still using Visual Studio and um, I was honestly just impressed by the sheer power of what you could do. It was a complete awakening to me as a newbie developer. One other thing that I just want to touch on briefly, you mentioned that um, the code was kind of scattered all over the place and that it wasn't in source control all the time and things like that. That's something that throughout my career, I've always kind of taken for granted. Was that just something at that company or were they part of a larger culture that tends to operate in that way? I think it was a combination of the two. The culture was to kind of just do what works to fit the immediate short-term solution and not really think too much about the problems that were going to happen in the long term. On my team, it was just kind of the assortment of tools we were using made it... There just wasn't a lot of look at, hey, let's take the next few steps to put these JS, these isolated JS files into source control. Mm. And in fact, that was a lot of what I spent my first year there doing was trying to kind of normalize the scripts that we had laying around and get them into a place where we could track them. Curiously, how did you find this job in the first place? Like, you know, you, you, you came out of somewhere and suddenly you landed this. And I think a lot of people might be curious about how that happened. Well, it's not a very long story, honestly. Um, I graduated from college. I went to IU and I applied for many, many jobs on my during my senior year and interviewed for several. And this particular company advertised on our... Uh, we had this kind of like tiny LinkedIn for the college students at my particular university. They advertised on there. They sent me a spam interview link. I declined it because I hadn't applied to them. And then they responded telling me to please interview and ended up offering me a job after one interview. So. I pretty much said that was easy and it's in Atlanta and it's warm there. So I'll go there. And you were a computer science graduate? Yes. So you, you started there and and, um, and you began to have a, well, you saw John and that's always an amazing experience. Um, mostly because he's bald, but eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's the first, John's the first hairless guy I can remember. Um, but uh, after you got over that shock, um, you found <laughs> your, that uh, that uh, it, you you saw a path forward to the to the to the chaos and 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 so did you just sort of discover how to make uh, tidy things up yourself or what what you know where did, where did this go? Prior to my discovering Angular, it was a lot of just kind of flailing about and trying things and seeing if it was better afterwards. So a lot of trial trial and error involved. And a lot of the idea that anything has to be better than we're at now 
So um, I, I was I'm laughing because I've there. been there. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like anything has to be better than this code right here. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I had a really great manager at the time who was pretty much content to let me poke whatever I wanted on the assumption that it would probably, you know, work. Like he also agreed that anything was better. Um, so I had a lot of freedom to work with for the most part. And yeah, it was kind of just leveraging what I did know about JavaScript to clean it up and make it a little more organized. And I think the biggest challenge on my team was that there was not a JavaScript background there. And JavaScript's a hard language for you know those who do know it, let alone when you're used to something fairly rigid like C Sharp and you're getting in there and it kind of just like, you don't need types, you don't need organization, you can just put things wherever you want and sometimes it'll work. So there was a lot of that kind of spaghetti JavaScript scattered around. And uh, what was great about Angular for me is it provided that kind of clear path forward. Hey, I'm trying to solve this problem of getting a team to understand organization and components and you know make JavaScript a little more friendly for the uninitiated. And Angular really seemed to accomplish that for me. It, it kind of gave you a framework to work in that still had types, still had things communicating in an understandable way. You can write the JavaScript and not have to worry too much that folks were going to go off the rails. So did you figure this all out yourself or were you, did you find certain pathways that were helpful in like, like, did you have people to talk to about this who actually had done it? I mean, how did you find your way? Um, I mean, it would be great if you found it and said, I just knew and I just followed it. But, but I was wondering if there was something that others could learn about, about how to get where you got. Absolutely. I was working under the constraint of not having anybody at my company with experience in this. So it was actually a, a huge struggle for me. And what I did do was get on all of the communities I could online mostly. You know, I read I read GitHub, I read even Reddit posts, I read, I watched um videos, I listened to podcasts. I basically just got out there and kind of what are people saying about this? What are people writing about this? How are people developing this? And that's how I found almost everything I did. In addition to the personal trial and error of trying to make something work and writing something that I was proud of and then three weeks later despised because I realized what a, how, how much I'd missed the first time around. Yeah, that's so much like all of our experience, that part. Um, I think of what you've just said about how to, you know, there's lots of folks that I run into have been in the shops where they're kind of in the corner and there's nobody around in the office um, that they can talk to um, who seems to have an idea or even an interest in this. And I think you, you know, you speak for a lot of those folks about how the way to get out of that box. I think the best thing that you can do in that situation, if you have the option, because I know that not everybody does, is to attend conferences. I really underrated the, and meetups as well. I don't want to understate meetups is I really underrated getting out there and meeting people who are doing the same thing and just watching, you know, talks. In fact, that's how I got my current job as I saw Justin Searles give a talk at NGConf last year, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And just going to NGConf and seeing all the talks there and getting to talk about Angular did made a huge impact on what I was doing with at my team. 
Now, I have to ask because, um, well, I know Justin from the Ruby community, but when the front-end framework started coming out, um, there wasn't a ton of pushback on things like Backbone that mostly helped you organize your code as opposed to, you know, giving you a way of doing things. And Ember kind of got a warm reception when it came out because it was done by Huda Katz, who, you know, is uh, well-known in the Ruby community. But a lot of these other frameworks, I mean, now it's more commonplace to see a, a Rails plus React or Angular or something. But for a long time, um, a lot of teams resisted um, doing anything with their JavaScript. Did you encounter anything like that um, on your team as far as people saying, you know what, um, I see what you're doing and I see that you're trying to help, but this whole JavaScript thing just really isn't what we're about. So this was kind of interesting for me because I kind I honestly had the opposite problem where if it's a problem at all, JavaScript wasn't really considered a problem on my team. Mm -hmm. It wasn't commonly understood as much as I would have liked or as much as you'd see on a on a strong front end team. But in fact, the having SharePoint solutions that are mostly backend was causing us problems in our deployment process and in getting the features out to the customers due to the restrictions we had with operations. We're dealing with a huge corporation where the dev teams and the ops teams were separate. We didn't have a lot of control over the deployment process. And they actually saw Angular as a way to maybe kind of skirt around some of that and make our systems rely a little less on that backend and that heavy SharePoint deployment process and be more front-end friendly. So there was a lot of encouragement to adopt JavaScript. Where I did get pushback was on process changes such as writing unit tests and having to deal with linting and basically anything that changed the way that people were used to coding, which makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those habits are really hard to break and it's amazing how many excuses people have for not changing the way they do things absolutely i i frequently found myself in the position of having to prove that something made sense rather than just uh the except rather than there being acceptance of the idea which also makes sense you know you don't want to take on something untested but yeah i definitely did a lot of you know look unit tests aren't going to slow us down they're going to make us faster in the long run and they still had some people who were skeptical. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. That's a tough that's a tough sell. Well, part um, of the issue there is just that there really isn't strong data. There haven't been a lot of really solid studies about it. Um, I, I had a really long conversation with Greg Wilson, um, who we've had on Ruby Rogues. And I'll put a link into that episode because it was how how do we know what we know about development? But yeah, you know, that that in particular is really hard to prove out. Um, we're, you know, we're always faster or these teams are faster or under what circumstances we're faster because of all those things. So Brittany, you went to like NG conference, you went to some of these conferences. Now, when I first started going, I didn't know anybody and it's a potentially really well, lonely experience. I, now I, I met Alyssa at one of these things and I, she didn't seem to be shy at any time in her life. So <laughs> maybe that's one of those things you have in common. Um, but uh, but it would have been hard for me to roam those halls and not know anybody. What did what did you what did you do? Well, let me preface this by saying that I don't 
actually um, consider myself an outgoing person. I'm actually extremely introverted. And I had that exact problem where I wanted to go to these tech conferences and kind of make connections. And most of the time, I end up lurking a lot more than I do interacting. But it's one of those things where it's a comfort zone. And sometimes I need to push myself out of it. And I'm slowly getting there. But I still get tremendous value out of going and having the conversations that I do have without necessarily pushing myself to interact constantly. I love that. It's, I'm like imagining it as like a button that you put on your lanyard, like conference lurker. It's just the best. <laughs> and I I feel like a lot of people think very much like um, Ward does as far as like, oh yeah, it's like so easy for Alyssa, but I'm actually um, not defined as an extrovert, even though I'm very outgoing um, because what defines like an introvert and an extrovert is where you get your energy from. And so going to conferences is like a blast for me and I love interacting with people, but I always have to like take a break and go to my hotel room and like, I guess, uh, like detox or something. Otherwise, like to refill the energy meter. Um, and so I very much, I have those days actually at conferences where I'm like on the sidelines, especially when I do international travel because my time clock's all wonky. But I, I think um, I love what you said earlier about how, you know, like a lot of people undervalue meetups or conferences because that at least was how I got like a meetup was how I got my first job in the industry. And it just has every single conference that I've gone to. Um, I sometimes don't actually notice it right away, but like months and months later, I might be like, wow, like look at this connection that I made and how useful is that? Or this thing that I learned and now it's actually coming into play. So um, I don't know, for me, at least that was like my number one resource. <laughs> Yeah, I can honestly say that my career thus far has really been defined by the conferences I was fortunate enough to attend. Um, if I hadn't gone to Ignite, I might not have ever gotten into Angular. And if I hadn't gone to NGConf, I might not have... I, I know I wouldn't have the job I have now because I wouldn't have seen Justin Stock and decided to apply. So yeah, it's really amazing what a change they can have or an impact they can have on your career. You know, I don't think we talk about that enough when we talk about why people should go to conferences. Because everybody says, well, you know, I can just look at it on tape. Um, but it, uh, and it isn't just about finding a job because it's hard to tell your boss that you want to go to a conference so you can find a job. Um, but it, 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 there's something about that conversations that you're describing that you had, or even when you were just lurking on, that uh, creates one aha moment after another. And it doesn't come from the videos. That's definitely been true for me. I There's more of an emotional reaction to the conferences you attend. There's more, I guess, incentive to apply it to your daily life when you're actually there and you know, you've taken the time to go there and you've spent the money to go there. Then I, I know I personally have a really bad tendency to say, oh, I'm going to watch the videos when they come up and then I don't. You're not the only one. A lot of people do that. I know. I'm like, that's me to a T. <laughs> yeah. Back from NG Vikings, which is in Finland. And I watched, I think, three sessions while I was there, maybe four. Uh, but I did the same thing. I think, you know, I'm here. I go to the conferences to talk to people, to listen to them, to hear their stories, and to meet new people and friends. And, and I did that. And then afterwards, I went back and scanned the videos and they came out on the internet. I'm like, okay, there's a bunch I want to watch. 
Uh, and they do take a while for me, though. Like, I do watch them, but I'll probably watch maybe 10 at most after the fact, uh, as my habits go. And I'll usually like watch like two a week. It's not like I sit down in an afternoon and say, okay, let's get the popcorn out and go watch Ward Bell in his red suit. Uh, it's, it's more of a oh John. <laughs> Although I love your red suit, dude. But you no, know, it, it's it's. I think you're right though. A lot of people do go there, and I actually think it's good behavior to to meet folks at these conferences. Uh, not not just for finding a job, but having the conversations that we strike up with folks there, and friends and relationships that we have, and, uh, being able to do pair programming across the world. I, like Ward and I, we code through Zoom and Skype. Um, you know, generally once a week at least. Uh, and he lives 3,000 miles away from me. So these kind of things are things that uh, you can't get just sitting in an office, which I've done much of my life too. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if you're in the talk live, you know, maybe you can ask a question at the end. Uh, but that's the only thing you can do in the session that you can't do on YouTube. Um, it's meeting people and having conversations and, you know, the five minutes before the talk or out in the hallway, you know, having that conversation. What do you do? How do you do it? What do you do different for me? Why do you make those decisions? What kind of a person are you? Where are you from? What's your background? I mean, the, those are the conversations. That's the real money. I find that I get tons of great questions right after I talk to not a lot of people will come up to the uh, stage afterwards, but a lot of them will wait until you come out in the hallway. Uh, and especially at Ignite, you mentioned Ignite is one of the conferences uh, I enjoy. There's actually like 25,000 people who go to that event. It's absolutely huge. And a lot of times afterwards in the hallways, we'll have like 50 people just sitting around and we'll talk for an hour or two about various questions. So I do think there's value of seeing the talks live because sometimes it triggers something in your mind while you're there that maybe you can ask while you're standing there as opposed to going home with a bucket of popcorn and watching it on YouTube later. Yeah. And as for the lurkers, I'll also point out that um, a lot of times at the conferences, yeah, there will be 20 or 30 of us that all go to a restaurant and, you know, we'll take over half of the place sitting and chatting and moving around the table and chatting with each other. And there are a few people usually there that are lurking. You know, they're, they're not actively seeking conversations or actively participating in conversations until something comes up that really strikes their fancy. But they get a ton out of that too. And we all feel a, a bit of camaraderie. Like I'll see somebody the next day at the conference that was in that group that I didn't get to know very well at that dinner or whatever. And I'm still like, hey, how's it going? You know, because because that's my personality at the conference. And so even though you're there and you're not, you know, outgoing like like John or Alyssa or Ward, you know, you, you still build those relationships with people, even if you're not leading the conversations everywhere you go. Let's be honest. Nobody is more outgoing than Alyssa and Ward, the, the two of them together. They're oh, the I want you guys to know that we've actually <laughs> agreed upon a, an outfit competition Sweet. for NGCOMP 2018. It's, it's <laughs> on, Alyssa. It's on. <laughs> wait, wait. Let, let's define uh, we here. We is you and Ward, right? <laughs> yeah, but I would, I would. <laughs> come on, John. That, that's no fun. I would love if you joined. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious, um, Brittany, when you started going to some of these conferences and started diving into Angular, what did you find to be the most, I guess, useful thing that you learned as you got into it to help you get up to speed? And, and also, what was your like biggest, oh my gosh, why the heck is that even there? <laughs> you know, how did that go? 
why is that even there as a like i can't believe that's there well yeah like just the struggle with angular i mean everything has struggles and successes early on curious to hear about yours sure well honestly angular so i started with angular js and my biggest wtf was probably why why do they let you do these things with scope um, dollar sign scope was probably my biggest challenge. And it's not that I didn't see the power of it because I did some ridiculous things with it once I got used to it. But just the fact that you could cause so many problems, especially when people would find out about it and they'd go crazy. Um, like, oh, we don't need to really worry about interfacing our containers and making things make sense. We can just pass a scope around to do everything on that. It's good. Um, in terms of what was the most useful for me getting in there? It was really, like I said, really just the internet in general. I know that sounds like a terrible answer probably, but um, it's very vague. But I read a lot of blog posts. I looked at a lot of code. Just it, Usually my challenges would be I frantically Google how to do something in Angular and then I'd see somebody else's attempt and I'd read it and I'd read the blog posts that went with it. And then I'd try to replicate it the best I could and see if it was a dumpster fire or not. And did that work? Did that pattern work for you? It sounds like it did. It worked in the long run, yes. Um, the biggest thing that you can do in that situation when you're new to something is not get too attached to anything. Uh, at least that's my experience is, you know, I have GitHub projects with Angular code in them that have hundreds of commits in them because I thought something was a completely reasonable thing to do. And then a year and a half later realized, oh, this is terrible. We should definitely do something else. So I guess it's just been an evolving process for me of never thinking that I've finally gotten there, which is sometimes frustrating, but on the whole, it feels good to say, hey, I made this better. I made this faster. I made this cleaner. So Brittany, you have an interesting job now. You you have to go into a place and coax them into understanding how they do their things and how they could do it better. And that's a really challenging thing. You know, you, you, here comes this fresh-faced person in there. What do they know? They're trying to tell me how to do things. Or are they trying to tell me how to do things? I mean, you know, it, there's just a lot of nuances in how you engage. And so I'm kind of wondering how you see, you know, entering a, a, a new place and and moving their needle a bit? It's definitely a big change from what I'm used to being on an embedded team and not having that, that context and that personal investment in the solution. But having just come from that environment, I can also understand it when I see it in the teams that I work in. And... I, I just read a book recently about consulting that um, is a, I think it's Jerry Weinberg's book. He says, it's always a people problem when you're consulting. I guess it's just not as much focusing on the technical side of things, but focusing on this code got this way for a reason. So first off, why did it get that way? How did it get that way? And secondly, what are maybe the things that you're not seeing because you're too close to the situation that I can kind of help coax out and make better to the point where you don't actually need my perspective anymore. I guess that's how I see the arc of consulting. But obviously, I'm still very new at this, so I'm definitely learning about it all the time. 
Well, I think that's a brilliant way to start. The idea, not that what they have is wrong, but that it got there, that there's a story behind it. And there's a reason that it looks the way it is. And we could all be embarrassed about our own stuff. But let's get over that and let's find that story. I think that is really a, a smart way to start the conversation. Yeah. One other thing, just having been a consultant, I've been on the end of things where they just expect you to show up and crank out code. And if you frame the conversation the way that you framed it, then you're talking about real value you can bring, not just, oh, at the end of the day, you're going to have some code that works. Yeah. And it's actually been challenging for me to step back from the impulse to code first rather than solution first as somebody transitioning from an enterprise to a consulting situation. It's very difficult to extricate yourself from that mindset. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm just really, honestly, I'm really interested in hearing more about your your story about how you got into this and what, like you made a comment before we got on the air about how, and I may get the words wrong, about how uh, you really, really enjoyed getting into Angular. Um, and I'm kind of curious to, to hear like what appealed to you about this. Uh, what Was it Angular? Was it just the idea of a framework? Um, what was the light bulb that went on for you? For me, it was the realization that JavaScript doesn't have to be a frustrating experience, which I know not everybody agrees with. Um, And I I just have a very fond spot for JavaScript in general because I've done it so much and made so much progress in it. But Angular for me represented kind of two things. One, it was a way to organize JavaScript that made sense to me personally. I really resonate the the component oriented architecture really resonated with me having the kind of the service and the dependency injection and the hierarchical injectors that angular 2 added especially angular 2.0 most of the things that came in that really made sense to me and i was able to do a lot of really cool stuff at my job in it the second thing that was important about angular was that it was kind of my gateway into the rest of the tools that are out there So I started learning Angular, and that's when I found out about Webpack. And Webpack is the best, in my opinion. (laughs) I've gotten so much done with it. And, you know, learning about Webpack was kind of a gateway into, okay, so now we're going to put testing in that. Now we're going to do linting, and we're going to have module-driven CSS instead of just spaghetti CSS. And everything that I learned made me a better programmer. And that was really exciting for me as somebody who was kind of experiencing stagnation just a year out of college. It shocked me how quickly things kind of settled and got boring and I I started falling behind in my knowledge. So I guess if I had to sum up, I would say the Angular revitalized my interest in programming. It's great to hear. Ward, you had a question too? Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2, and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities, and online at angularbootcamp.com. I did, but I'm digesting I'm digesting what you just said, Brittany, and that's and because uh, it makes it makes sense. Um, and I'm trying also to remember what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> to uh to 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 turn that corner because i too I, when i started it was just a sort of a, a big mess and a free for all 
and there were no principles and there was no guidance and there was no internet. So I didn't really know that there was anything. So wait, wait. So you were like a programmer before you were a web programmer? <laughs> you're you're being funny. <laughs> no, I'm really I'm really not. <laughs> like is that a thing? You. <laughs> you mean like a world without the internet? I was about to ask, yeah, what's that like? <laughs> so word. <laughs> there was a, what do you mean a network? There, I mean there was there was no network when I started. Phones used to be mechanical <laughs> devices with a wire that connected to the wall. We had vacuum tubes that connected one room to another. You put a note in a tube, you throw it up there, and we'd get sucked in and we'd arrive. That was tech. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I, no, but I, I'm really getting at the idea that, there, that it seemed unprincipled, that it seemed like, you know, anything would do. There was no, there was no place to check code in. Uh, there was not, you know, it was just out it was just chaos and I didn't really take it seriously. And what you're describing is uh, turning the corner when you realize that there's a, that there's a discipline. Um, and then angular in some sense, because it's opinionated and it has, a, you know, it has a way about it and it has certain features. It starts to bring that the shape of programming into focus. And that's what I hear you describing. And I'm, I'm reliving that moment. Um, through your description, your discussion. Yeah, I found one of the advantages to being fairly recent in my career is that pretty much everything is a revelation to me of monumental proportions. I get so excited about very small things. <laughs> That's like me with map. I like recently was like, there's a map function. And like, that just shows how much of a noob I am because my friends are like, you're still using for loops, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know i know so i'm just like that was me with angular as well it was very much like a light bulb moment for because javascript at least didn't it sounded like you had a lot more javascript experience before you found angular whereas me i was like learning javascript and then i found angular and then everything made sense after that so <laughs> my experience was more like i did jquery and we called that javascript when i was in college <laughs> and i learned that they were two different things and then i got really confused for a while yes mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you're not alone there are so many stories i've heard of people for years thinking that jquery and javascript were the same thing and uh, i don't think that's an unfair comparison because because honestly for years i got out of javascript i did javascript back in the late 90s wrote an app with it it was awful by the way um, with the early versions that had to work across multiple browsers and all the DOMs were different. The syntax was different. There was more <laughs> if-then logic in there than anything I've ever written in my life. The biggest pile of garbage I've ever seen. And yes, I wrote it. And I got out of JavaScript for years until jQuery came back in because it was like, wait a minute, there's this thing that makes it easy to use JavaScript in multiple browsers? Because that's how jQuery really got its claim to mm -hmm. fame, right? So I, I see a lot of people who have that same experience. I don't think you're alone there at all. No, I definitely learned jQuery DOM manipulation before even knowing that you could do that in pure JavaScript. And that at first I could not imagine like, you, what do you mean don't load jQuery? What do you mean this is old fashioned? I worked at a company uh, not too long ago where one of my developers in the team came to me and part of our job was to kind of do an assessment of the code. Uh, security risks, uh, just general architecture. And they came to me and said, this site's using jQuery. We want them to remove it. I go, well, there's nothing wrong with jQuery. Why are you asking them to remove it? 
They're like, no, John, it's using seven different versions of jQuery on the same app. <laughs> and they were. They were literally loading up seven different versions of jQuery in the same app. I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, let's try to get it down to one. <laughs> well, the the reason is, is because a lot of these different plugins or systems or third-party libraries would all require a different version of jQuery so that they could manipulate the DOM in the right way. And so it was an easy thing to do, yep. but at the same time, yeah, you know, now it's just, okay. Especially we're, before NPM and Bower, right? Yeah. Before these packages. But but nowadays, I mean, yeah, we, we pull in something like Angular and it has enough of the good stuff that lets us do the DOM manipulation to where we can wrap it all up in the same thing. So what's your frontier now, Brittany? What, what, um, what keeps you excited? What do you really want? What do you want to reach for next? What's, what's, what's kind of even scary to you? Well, right now I'm scaring myself with React because I'm just getting into it and, uh, it's very, very different than Angular, but I wouldn't say it's it's horrifying. I'm I understand enough about frameworks to kind of see where all the pieces go. Uh, honestly, my job itself is keeping me out of my comfort zone enough that I haven't really been foraging off much in my personal time. So right now, my adventure is Docker, all things mm -hmm. Docker, and getting the services to interact with each other and the fun stuff that you can do with that and Honestly, the first day I used that was kind of my most recent, aha, this is really neat experience. Nice. But Docker's kind of a different experience than Angular. So I'm curious because in some ways, when I have the experience that you described, it's because I'm learning something new and I'm, I'm making headway in ways that are exciting. And sometimes it's the particular technology. And so I wonder, you know, how much of this is driven by I'm learning something new and interesting and how much of it is that Docker is just really cool. I've actually thought about that myself. Um, I do a lot of self-analysis about these things and, you know, what excites me and what keeps me going. And at, at my very core, the thing that makes me happiest as a developer is solving a problem. It really doesn't matter the scale of that problem, especially if it's something that I don't know how to do it all, or I have no idea how to fix it. And then days later, I finally get it. So I guess I view learning about something new and awesome as an extension of that, mm -hmm. where this may not solve a problem I'm having now, but I can see how to apply this to problems that I might encounter based on my experience. Or sometimes I'll learn something and say, man, I really wish I knew this two years ago when I was dealing with this on this team, because this would have completely solved the problem. Mm -hmm. So for me, yeah, it's just the general satisfaction of knowing that my capacity to solve problems is improving. Have you tried presenting yet? I have not presented anything, no. That's like really surprising to me. Just hearing you talk, you sound very like knowledgeable and level-headed, but also passionate. And it just feels like you'd be an amazing speaker. <laughs> Well, it's on my long-term goals. I would definitely like that to be something I do. Though, if I'm being completely honest, um, this is actually my first podcast even. So technically, this is my first time speaking at all in a professional context. So we're getting there bit by bit. Yeah, well, you're yeah. killing it. And if you need any references or conference ideas, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
Yeah, let us all uh, encourage you to do that. It seems like you uh, think deeply on a lot of these topics in ways that would make for some really, really interesting talks. Yeah, I guess some people, you know, go out and socialize and I mostly just stare at walls and think about stuff. So (laughs) (laughs) whatever works. Back to your conference experience a little bit. You know, one of the things that interests us, uh, those of us who try and make a conference a good experience, is we're kind of curious about how people, how people find it. I mean, we we know, you know, we sort of know each other there, you know, oh, it's okay. well, you know, where have you been? What, you know, all that stuff. But, but for somebody coming, how does it, how does, um, do you feel like you're embraced? Do you feel like you're welcome? Are there things that conferences should be doing that they're not doing that would um, that would make for a better experience uh, because it's fresh for you? I'm not really sure what could be done. Um, just based on my experiences, I've never felt unwelcome at a conference, whether self-inflicted or not, based on just you know my own introversion. I've never had an experience where I felt like people were ignoring me or I couldn't jump in and have a conversation if I wanted to. In fact, I do have a lot of really great impromptu conversations at conferences that um, are really enjoyable. I guess, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have any hard ideas. Just kind of be encouraging, encourage people to come, make it clear that it's not just about you know, it's not just for outgoing people. It's for anybody that just kind of wants to get together and learn. Honestly, impromptu social events, if you have the time for them, are really great. I actually remember at NGConf last year, I believe there was this kind of last minute organized that we went to Beauty and the Beast, the sing-along version after one of the conferences. And I really enjoyed that. that it had was nothing... so much fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, you were there. I was. I had Joe, <laughs> the organizer, sitting next to me, screaming into my—I mean, singing into my ear. <laughs> See, it was awesome. and this is this that. is one of the things where I envy you guys because I was literally in my room like detoxing because they were like, "Oh, you want to go hang out?" And I'm like, "But I just talked to people all day. Like <laughs> that was a lot." <laughs> but no, I, I heard that was a blast actually, and I'm—I didn't know like the audience actually sang along though. I thought it was like. Oh, we tried. It wasn't like oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it it was it was awful overall, but yes, we all sang, and including me. <laughs> okay, so I want to hear a few bars from both of you. Then I want to hear you and Brittany give us uh, the first couple of uh, lines of some of the song from that. Go ahead, go for it. Not all that recording lights on. <laughs> <laughs> Just put very, your hand over light. the light like it's not on. But yeah, definitely stuff like that. It takes, it's just, it takes the pressure off, especially, you know, when everyone's singing poorly around you, it's hard to be too worried about what anyone's thinking of you. But um, yeah, just get out of the tech atmosphere and say, hey, we're all just folks and let's hang out and have some fun. I love doing that if there's time. Yeah, I think this year's NGConf, I, I thought I saw something on the schedule that looked like um, everybody going to see Ready Player One which is the theme for this year's conference. Right. They are. And they're actually also bringing in, I don't know if any of you have ever been into D&D, but I found out yesterday they're bringing in professional dungeon masters to run oh, nice. groups on game night. So <laughs> I am so really, really regretting not having a ticket to that. 
Oh, you're into D and D too? Yeah. not the perfect person or what? <laughs> oh, yeah. You have no idea. Um, I'm showing my best side here. <laughs> I think Alyssa's going to adopt you. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you're not going to NGConf. I was, that was actually my next question, and you're breaking my heart. No, I I actually I decided to go to Tech Agnostic conferences this year so i just went to lead dev austin and i'm going to deconstruct later this year mm. oh cool that's an interesting idea was that i'm assuming intentional <clears throat> yeah it was more of i just kind of wanted to try different things though i will say i really enjoyed ngconf it was a very difficult decision for me um but at, at testable we actually have a conference allotment per year they help us pay to go attend conferences so I just didn't have it in the budget for ng-conf this year. No, yeah, that totally makes sense. Even if it's not like a budget thing, there's always the time that you have to think of and how, how saying yes to so many conferences is just not feasible. So, And there's so many good ones. It's so unfair. Know, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you say that these were non-tech conferences? Like, what is Deconstruct? They were, uh, they are tech conferences, but they're technology agnostic. So they're not like about Angular or about, you know, React or about JavaScript. So lead dev is pretty much just about the, talks about the qualities of being a lead developer and problems you encounter. So they didn't really have anything tech specific. Deconstruct is a conference I've heard of amongst testable circles. It's very popular that I guess was organized by, I forget his name, but someone who just wanted to kind of rehaul the way conferences are done. So it's a single track tech agnostic conference that's just about various things in development. And I'm sorry, I do not have more information, but I've never actually been to one. I'm super curious. Oh, it's, it looks like it's Gary Bernhardt. Like, do you actually know this person? You always know everyone. Yeah. G- Gary, <laughs> Gary's a longtime member of the Ruby community. So, okay. Well, I hope it's a blast then. And I'm actually going to look into it now that you brought it up. It sounds really cool. Yeah, they've they've got uh, some really solid speakers too. So, yeah, when when <laughs> whenever I bring up somebody and you're like, you you know everybody, it's because I do five or six plus uh, podcast episodes every week. So I'm talking to a lot of people. So I've probably talked to them or somebody who knows them, and it's not because I'm famous. It's because I set up appointments <laughs> to talk to people. So Chuck's so modest. <laughs> so wait, Chuck. You're not only famous, but you're also your own secretary. Wow. Okay. 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 Awesome. I am not famous. I go to Walmart and nobody bugs me, so I'm not famous. And Dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> I saw you walking around at NG Atlanta. You had the sunglasses on, the entourage behind you. It was just out of control, man. I know, but I had to pack up my gold chains when I got home. Um, <laughs> so, Chuck, this is actually uh, the main reason for this podcast is an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> But to John's other point, you're correct. Actually, somebody else usually sets up the appointments. <laughs> Chuck is actually very well known. He's he's you're almost in every technology area these days, aren't you? Actually, with all your podcasts, we're we're getting there. Most of it's web focused, yeah. but yeah, the I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Brittany. <laughs> me too. Actually, I have, I have one really uh, bigger question for you at the end of this, Brittany. I, I was kind of holding off on is. Uh, lately, there's been a lot of talk about diversity of thought 
demographics, culture, gender, everything in our industry uh, to get away from just having, you know, quite frankly, the, the middle-aged white male people like me, uh, you know, having different kinds of thinking, not only just across the type of people, but also across the type of experiences people have as well in technology. Uh, so I'm curious, uh, being being a female in tech, what kind of things have you found to be helpful to encourage uh, other females and other folks in the diversity to kind of get out there and do more? Oh, this is a big one, definitely. Um, and it's, it is something I've thought about. I, I will not say that I have any, you know, sure answers because this is something that's still being discussed a lot. I guess for me, the best thing you can really do is be honest about the situation as it is. You know, I, I work at a, actually, you know, the industry is what it is diversity wise, you know, it's dominated by a certain demographic and it marginalizes other demographics. It's a problem and we need to acknowledge that it's a problem. So the best thing a particular group can really do is say, Hey, we know this is going on. We need to fix it. And we need to have the conversations about how to fix it and just put those conversations out in the public. I think a lot of times this stuff happens internally where teams, you know, they talk about diversity amongst themselves, but they never really advertise it. They don't go to the meetups where these communities are at. They don't reach out to the communities and say, hey, do you like tech? Let's let's help you like tech or let's show you how to get into tech. And, um, you know, it's going to conferences and making it clear hey, we welcome everybody. We want everybody to be involved in these things. And we know that the demographic is what it is. And we'd like it to be different because we value these things. So I guess if I had to sum up, I'd say, this is very vague, but you know, value the diversity you have. Have these conversations in public and most importantly, listen to the people that are you know, being underrepresented. At, uh, or Sorry, upper underrepresented. I can talk, I swear. <laughs> that one is a tricky word though i actually had to like type it five times in the last hour because you guys like teed me up perfectly for my pick so i'm just gonna, like randomly slip it in here but it's for i got invited so bonnie brennan was recently asked to be one of the organizers of ng comp and so she reached out to me and a couple other people that she knows in the community and she said will you help me um form a diversity committee and so literally we're like just we've been brainstorming and something that i came up with was hey let's do a community fundraiser to just help with travel and expenses um for people from underrepresented groups and so my pick is youcaring.com slash ng-conf and it's the fundraiser that we are this <laughs> this diversity committee is now backing and we're just trying to see how much we can gather from the community to bring in just people from underrepresented groups. And Aaron actually said, uh, Frosty said that um, NGConf would match us up to 5,000. And so we're just super pumped about that. And I think at this point, it's just like anything that we can try. Um, I don't know. <laughs> anything we can try at this point, because we are still brainstorming. And I like how you said it. It's like still an issue. And I don't know if anybody really has an answer. So. Well, I think there's a lot of education still to go around on, on the topic of diversity as it is. Even little things. Uh, like this is not just to do with um, any particular group, but I noticed a lot of times at conferences now, I'm trying to be very conscious of when I'm in a group or a circle of three or four people, 
if I see somebody kind of walking around the circle or even close to it, I turn and kind of open myself in the group to say, hey, my name's John. You know, what's yours? Why are you here? What are you doing? What? Not like that, but, you know, <laughs> why are you here? More just like, you know, <laughs> what are you passionate about? You know, you want to join the conversation. You know, invite people into it because I find just by asking and talking to people sometimes it helps do that. But specifically, I will go to people who are uh, uh, not just not just people like me. I'll also seek out people who are different from me, They're from different countries, different cultures, um, people of color, uh, females, everybody. Because I think too far too often what I'm hearing a lot is this these kind of comments. Oh, from a, for like a female friend of mine said to me, you know, I've been asked five times this year whose girlfriend I was at a conference. Uh, and to me, that's awful. That's embarrassing. That's just awful to ask somebody something like that, just to assume that the person doesn't belong there for some reason. Uh, so I think there's a lot of education that a lot of us have to do uh, and reflect on ourselves and our own behaviors to say, what can we do instead of just talking about it? What can we do to be more inclusive of everybody and to not maybe to think before we speak sometimes <laughs> so we're you know, not alienating people? Um, and that kind of leads into my picks, which I'll I'll get into later today. But one of the people I've been really reading a lot about lately, I might get her pronunciation of her name wrong, is uh, Chloe Condon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll put some links in there to the. I follow her on Twitter, and I incidentally ran into her at NG Atlanta. She's got some wonderful blog posts about what it's like to be a woman at a tech conference. Uh, and reading through oh, it, did you retweet really her? Did you retweet yes. or tweet about one of hers recently? Because I think I read that because of you. And it was. It was one of the – I think it was because it wasn't – I've read so many posts that are very hostile. And it was very open-minded and just like, yeah. here's my experience. And so it was – I don't know. It was a really nice read. So. Yeah. yeah there, there was no men shaming in it, which I which I appreciate. It was just more mm-hmm. – I mean, uh, I do a lot of things wrong in life. I'm, I deserve to be shamed. But <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to really understand, you know, I wanted to understand. I feel like when she writes about this stuff, she's one of the people I, I can read and go, you know what? Wow, I do that. Why am I doing that? Right. Uh, and she's got this great photo on one of her blogs there or posts where it shows her and about 50 men at the at a party at one of the events. And the look on her face is priceless. It's like, wow, that must be really awkward, you know, and, and she describes it. So anyway, I, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, is how do we make everybody feel more included uh, out there, even noobs to the events? It could be somebody you just don't know and yep. go up and say hi to them, make them feel included. I also just want to add another angle to this because a lot of people, they hear this and they kind of shut down either because of what John you know mentioned with the, the man shaming or just it's like, well, you're talking about this fairness doctrine and I'm going to the conference so I can be edified. And the thing is, is like when I go to the conferences, the more different people are from me, the more interesting the conversation is. And so if you're, if you really want to have these interesting conversations, even if you just want to talk about tech at the conference, go find the people that don't look like you because I guarantee you they think about it differently. And so there, there's a lot of this that, that comes back around and, and it all feeds back into the kind of community we have. And so, you know, um, some of us are concerned about, you know, we, we want to see a more diverse set of people at the conferences and in the community. 
And some of us, you know, we just want to go to the conferences and have a terrific experience. And I think you can have both. And I think you add a lot to your experience when you talk to people who are come from a completely different background from what you do. Anyway, I think this is a good place to stop and go to picks. Actually, I have something for Alyssa. I want her to walk up to me at NGConf and ask me whose boyfriend I am. <laughs> like, do you want me to do it very loudly? <laughs> very loudly in a public place. I, I really, because you know, I want to, I'm giving that some thought. It actually matters to me, but um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have stuff like that happen all the time. I just really try to write it off. I mean, at a conference that I won't name that I got back from recently, I was in the speaker lounge and I um, asked, there's a couple guys in there. I was like, oh, is this the, um, is this the projector that they had like mentioned in a speaker email? Um, is this the projector we can practice with? And they gave me this weird look and they're like, yeah, are you even a speaker? And I was like, no, I, I literally said this. I was like, no, I'm just here to, to uh, inspect the projector. I'm the projector inspector. And, <laughs> and they just kept staring at me and I was just like, okay. <laughs> that is awesome. I don't know. I, <laughs> Alyssa, so the projector I, infector. <laughs> I'm, I'm the projector inspector. Hi, here to look at your projectors. Yeah, I like to I like to make things humorous whenever stupid things are yeah. said and try to give people a chance to be like, oops. So, <laughs> but yeah, I will ask. I will ask whose boyfriend you are, Lord. <laughs> I want to get that on camera. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've never been asked whose boyfriend or girlfriend I was, but I was asked today uh, by somebody at the Starbucks I was working at uh, if I would make them a cup of coffee. So, oh my God, God. <laughs> what did you say? What did you say? Yeah, I said yeah, sure. Just give me your credit card, and that immediately set them like what. <laughs> John the barista. Oh, I, I love it. I feel like I feel like I cut you off. Um what what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was like being really loud. <laughs> no, I was just saying that going like getting on the um your experience with the projector specter thing. Um I think I guess that's just a great example of what it means to kind of get rid of these attitudes of disliking difference or fearing difference though, because it's great that you can laugh that situation off and you have enough self-confidence to kind of not let that get to you. But I always worry about the people who, you know, that would bother and that might bother enough to not come to the conference at all or to not try to speak. So I guess that's, I love the idea of reacting to exclusive behavior and saying, you know, we're not going to tolerate it. We're going to try to fix it. But honestly, in the long run, it might be really important to try to avoid that from happening in the first place just because it can be so damaging to people's confidence and to getting people involved in the community at all. I don't know how I to think that. I think you're right though. And you know, honestly there are a lot of things like that that I can laugh off. But I was talking to some of my girlfriends who are devs and speakers as well recently because something that I can't laugh off and I actually I freeze up every single time are um sexual comments that are made and they're still happening. Um I'd say probably Every fourth or fifth conference, I get into this really awkward situation with a guy and I'm like, I don't even know where to go from here. And so I'm actually like gathering advice from other speakers I know of like, how do you deal with this? Because I've, I have the worst reaction in the entire world, um, which is hysterical laughter, uh, because I have no idea what to say and I'm so uncomfortable and I'm like, how do I get out of this? And I, it's like the worst because it seems to encourage them to keep saying things. And so 
Um, I haven't, I think those kind of situations for me, like I'd much rather be slighted as like, you don't belong here than be like put into a really awkward conversation because I'm a woman. I don't know that that's, that's where it gets sticky. And that's where I feel for other women because (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. That's still something I'm actually working on. How do you respond to these things and how do you shut it down while still being a professional? And and I, I don't know. That's, still something I actually struggle with. And I, I hope that li- like women listening who've like had the same experience as conferences, at least just don't feel alone because I still don't really have answers. So. Yeah. I think that most women who, well, at least this was true for me. I don't want to um, assume other people's experience, but in my case, it's definitely been true. You kind of have that in the back of your mind. Like, what am I going to do if I go to this conference by myself and, you know, you get into a bad situation or someone makes an, a rude comment or, you know, if things get awkward, even, you know, how am I going to handle that? It, it would just be really nice to reach a point where you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it would. Well, and that being said, I mean, most of the people around you are going to be people like, you know, as John put it, you know, the, the middle-aged white guys. And if you're a middle-aged white dude and you're around for something like that, you are totally fine to step up and say, dude, not cool. And, you know, just, you know, because, yeah, it's it's awkward for her. It's awkward for the, the woman who's in the situation. But, you know, since you are, are sort of a, uh, the, the, the guy who's doing this is going to identify somewhat with you, you stepping in and saying it's not cool will probably have possibly more of an impact, you know, from mm-hmm. from a cultural angle. No, it, and it has it has before actually helped where another uh, guy friend would be like, like, I don't know, they like I've, I've seen guys that are my friends diffuse situations and I just marvel at it and I don't I don't I just don't have that skill I don't know not yet and I want to but I have seen friends of mine do that before and I'm just like wow I need to do that because they don't do it in such a way that like shames the person utterly uh-huh. um but they also get their point across which is the important part that I can't seem to master so I don't know I don't know guys I don't know it's hard <laughs> yeah it is hard and it's one of those things I where I don't, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, you was, nobody goes to a conference assuming that everybody there is going to be a negative experience. 99.99% of the people you meet at a conference are going to be positive and kind and never cause you a problem. There's just that little bit of stress that goes with, you know, that outlier example, because it does happen. No, and I think honestly, I see it more because I go to so many flipping conferences as an advocate. So it's it's just like, obviously, if you up your numbers of conferences a year, you're going to see like singular instances more often. Um, But I think you're absolutely right. It is a very, for me, at least when I was like just in development and going to enjoy random conferences, it wasn't an issue. And I feel like a really horrible person because I actually judged a lot of women who in our community were like, this is a thing because I never saw it. And I was like, what do you mean it's a thing? Like until it actually happened to me. And so I, I guess that's another like lesson learned of if you are a woman and you're in this community and you've never experienced it, I'm so glad for you. But you know, I think there are still just issues in different parts that can be worked on. And I think one of my girlfriends, she said a really awesome thing. Um, We were explaining to one of one of our friends, he's a marketer, so he's not actually like a dev, but he was going to the conferences and he wanted to understand, like, I guess, being a woman at a conference. And so we were kind of explaining about these types of situations. And she said, 
something that really just was like, yes, for me. She said, um, you know, if you're a guy and you're with a group of guys and there's a, like a, a woman in the conversation and it turns like sexual or it turns awkward in that way, even though she might like seem okay, it never ends up good for her. Like, and that for me has been true as well. Like, even though we might be laughing on the outside, like that conversation never turns out well for the woman involved, even if everything looks happy and like, Hey, yeah, we're all just joking around, buddy, buddy. So I don't, I don't know. I've, I think people just maybe with a few drinks have a tendency to take things too far, especially if they're like getting comfortable with each other. And I think you just have to always check yourself. Um, even as like women or as a minority at a conference, like, you know, am, am I making everyone around me feel included and feel safe? So. I don't, I don't know. I don't know an answer though, but yeah, that was, I love what she said. She was just like, it never, it never turns out well for her. So just something to, I guess, keep in the back of your mind, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and so you guys are heroic. The, the yeah. idea that one would have to go to the conference anticipating that something like this might happen to you is such a burden that I've never had to carry. I know that. And, and you're kind of pioneering. Um, and someday it'll be a conference where that would just be uh, not something to worry about, but something that would be totally surprising. I'm glad you guys are out there, you know, bearing the shield and, and taking it on and making, making it possible for future generations to not experience that. Yep. I, I thank you. And I think, I think it will one day not be an issue. I really do. I think so too. Yep. All right. Well, let's do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. John disappeared, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, he, he mentioned most of these picks. Um, did he mention the NGRX data quick start? Because it's the only one that I don't think he mentioned. No, nope, he didn't. So. <laughs> and I'm here to, I'm here to promote it. <laughs> That's cool. oh, okay. <laughs> go ahead, Ward, then. Go ahead and do your picks and promote that. Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So John and I have been working uh, hard on this thing called NGRX data. Those people who know something about Redux and NGRX um, know it's really popular. There's going to be practically a whole day dedicated to it at NGBConf. And one of the reasons you need a day for it is because it just is like weirdly complicated and requires a lot of a lot of effort to understand and to execute. And John and I set out to find a way to make it so you didn't have to do all that. And it's called NGRX Data. And it went to beta today as we're uh, talking. 
And we're really excited to have people look at it. And the quick start um, that John uh, built there is uh, a way to discover what um, what NGRX data can do and how it might make your NGRX experience a little more graceful, a little more gracious, and a little more positive. So we're excited about it. Come check it out. Awesome. Did you have any other picks, Ward? That was going to be my pick, but John beat me to it. But since he's not here, I got to say it. Oh, there you go. All right, Alyssa, what are your picks? I uh, mentioned it earlier, but it's just a fundraiser for um, helping to increase diversity at NGCOM. So it's youcaring.com slash ng-comp. And that is my only pick. And I want to say thank you so much, Brittany, for coming on um, while I had a chance because you're just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I echo that. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, one thing that I've been playing a lot with my kids lately, and I know that Harry Potter's not everybody's thing and that border card games are not everybody's thing, but uh, it is kind of our thing around this house. So um, we've been playing the Harry Potter uh, Battles, and it's a, it's a, it's a card game it, it's got a game board to it but it's i mean you, you play it mostly with your cards it's a deck building game so if you've played uh games like splendor or things like that um the difference is it's a cooperative game and you're all you know you're harry hermione ron and neville and you're trying to defeat the the villains before they take over all of the locations from the school and um you know, and so you have a number of locations that you're you're fighting and, you know, they they do dark arts stuff that helps them take over the, the locations. Anyway, it's been a ton of fun. Um, when we picked it up, we went down to um, anyway, we went on a trip with my father in law, my sister in law and her husband. And we played that game until midnight, like three nights in a row. So it's definitely on the level for adults. Um, but at the same time, my eight-year-old, my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old could also play it. So, um, anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's an expansion pack out there. Um, I got those for my wife for her birthday and, uh, we haven't played the expansion yet, but it's been a ton of fun. Um, another game that we've been playing lately is Pandemic Legacy. Um, if you're really into board games, if you've played Pandemic, it's a, it's a fun game on its own. And I think I've bought my wife every expansion that exists for that game for Christmas. Um, but, uh, pandemic legacy, the difference is, is that you play through different, uh, stages of the game and you wind up like tearing up cards and putting stickers on the board. And so you can only play through it one time, right? Cause you wind up destroying the, or not destroying, but you wind up, uh, you know, at the end of the game, you have a board that you can't start over on. And so, um, anyway, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've been playing that with my sister and her husband. And uh, we've really been digging that. And then um, a few other things that I'm just going to throw out. So uh, JavaScript uh, Remote or JavaScript Dev Summit, like I said, is coming up at the beginning of the show. Um, this episode will come out right before React Dev Summit. So if you're interested in that, you can also go to reactdevsummit.com. And um, uh, finally, I put up a, I used to use user voice for um, suggestions for the show. So hosts and guests and stuff like that. And I have gone back to it. And so if you have a suggestion for the show, just go to adventuresnangular.com. And over on the left, you'll see in the uh, sidebar um, a place where you can go and suggest uh, topics and guests. 
And so if you want to go in there, you can also upvote the ones that are there. So if you have suggestions or you want to just um, see what people are saying and vote up the ones you're interested in, uh, that would be terrific. Uh, Brittany, what are your picks? I have two. One is the book Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella. And I really hope I didn't just butcher the pronunciation of that. Um, he is the third CEO of Microsoft. And the book is mostly about the transformation that Microsoft went through culturally right after he became CEO and kind of how they tried to realign themselves. And it's it's a lot about leadership and culture. And I've just really enjoyed reading about it. It's a good story. And my second pick is a game on Steam called Reigns Her Majesty, which is a sequel to a game that I've never played, but it's a couple of bucks and the mechanics are pretty much all Tinder style, swipe right or swipe left to make decisions, but it's very engaging and I might've lost a couple of hours to it while intending to put about 15 minutes. <laughs> nice. All right, Brittany, one other question I have is if people want to see what you're working on these days or... Uh, follow you on Twitter or whatever, where do you put all of your latest news? Sure. I have a Twitter account that I've never used, um, <laughs> but it's under the name Ban Moore. I once again... I know. Just I just went there to follow you because I was interested and it said you don't tweet. <laughs> I don't tweet. I just follow other people. Um, okay. It's on my to-do list, though. I am slowly getting out into the social sphere. Um, my GitHub is also Ban Moore. And I'm much more active on that. It's just code. I also started a blog recently, which also has only one post. So don't get, um, don't go expecting too much. It's at brittanymore.net. So hopefully I have more thoughts and so get them out ban there. more. I'm trying to find right now. Is it B-A-N-N? Your, your handle? B-A-N-N more. It's my first initial, my middle name, and my last name. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, and I recently went through the process of making my github the same as my twitter so it would be mildly less confusing but <laughs> very good one one step closer to world domination wait so you make like you changed your github username yep oh, okay because i i have i accidentally got two like a github accounts when i was first starting out because i was like what's this github business is it really important and i didn't make it match so I need to like merge them or something. So when you said it's, you can change it, that's at least giving me a little bit of hope. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that breaks is the hard links that you might have out there in the world that forwards all of your repos and such. So I figured that since I am not a big deal and nobody links to me, it's probably a safe thing to do. <laughs> yet. Let yeah. us put a yet. I was going to say, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've changed mine twice, Alyssa, so you can't do it. Noise. All right. Well, thank you again for coming, Brittany. This has been really, really terrific just to talk through this. I don't know how often we really get into, oh, what's it like getting in now? And what's your experience since it's different from ours? So thanks for kind of giving us a flavor of all of that. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks so much again for having me. I'm uh, very excited that I got to do this. All right. Well, folks, we're going to wrap this one up and we will catch you all next week. See y'all. Look out, Alyssa. I'm coming. I'm coming with all yeah, <laughs> I'm bringing it. Bring it on. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.